Hello, everyone. Welcome to East West Draft Cast. This is a co-host. There's another co-host, but first me, Jeff, the one that you're always waiting to make sure is on the cast. If he's not, you just turn it off immediately because you're like, F everybody else. I didn't even say the whole word because I'm keeping it clean today. Anyway. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Greg is the other co-host. What's up, Greg? Not much, dude. Uh, I was just thinking about whether I should drop an F-bomb right away, uh, get things you know back on track, but I'm going to hold off for now, and, and we'll, we'll see... We'll let it come organically, you know. We'll, we'll yeah. drop the organic f bombs. This is this one's important for all the kitties out there to listen to because because we got a very broad and awesome topic to talk about that everyone yep. needs to know. So, it was uh, prompted by a listener who posted a comment on our website, uswestraffgas.com, uh, in regards to or in response to episode eighty seven. Uh, his name was Tom, and he I'll, I'll just read what he wrote. Uh, he says, oh, da, 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 let me find it. Okay. <laughs> I have a friend that struggles with patience when playing. He tries to play aggro too much, even when the deck he drafted is mid-range at best. If you wanted suggestions for discussion, it would be how to play the deck you've drafted, aggro, mid-range, control, or, or another type you want to hit on. Blah, 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 blah. He's talking about... Knowing your role and knowing your deck, deck's strengths and weaknesses, and we we want to talk about that today. Yeah. Well, Greg, I think this all just packages up in a nice little tiny package in one question, and I've got. A, what's that? What's that question? Who's the beatdown, Greg? Ooh. Who is? Can it? I be the beatdown? <laughs> you you usually are and can be. I I love to be the beatdown, but. It's important to recognize when you're not, or when you're not, or when you shouldn't be the beatdown. Um, and yeah, this boils down to that simple question, and it's one that was brought up by Mike Flores way back in the day of the dojo. Yeah, uh, 99. An old Magic the Gathering strategy site, and uh, you can find these online still. Just Google who's the beatdown, and you'll find his original article You'll find some follow-ups, one that he wrote and a follow-up that uh, I think Zvi Mashowitz wrote. I don't think I've read that Who's the beatdown to? Uh, that one's from, I think, Brain Burst or so one of the other sites. I can't remember which. Sure. Um, but yeah, first of all, check those articles out because that's kind of what we're going to be basing a lot of this discussion on. And um, I don't know. I think we should kind of kick things off with just I, I wanted to start with an example uh specifically one that we used last week um that that deck you were talking about the dissolve mnemonic wall deck yeah and how that was about as extreme a control strategy as you could brew up in limited for sure um and the fact of the matter is is that that deck was drafted with that in mind, with the purpose of going very long and countering everything your opponent is trying to do, right? Right. And uh, if that deck had tried to play aggressively, just run out all of its threats, like tapping out every turn, it probably couldn't have won, right? It definitely couldn't have won, seeing as all of its cards were like one fours. 
So and, and so that's that's this question you have to ask yourself is who's the beatdown? Am I the beatdown or is my opponent the beatdown? Um, but that's that's the general scope of what we're looking at today. Yeah, and I mean it's a good uh, so this this guy's deck um, for those that maybe didn't listen last week uh, blue green mostly blue um, and it was just a bunch of defensive cards uh, counter spells mnemonic walls and bounce spells uh, to slow the opponent down and to get to the little kind of counter mnemonic wall lock. It wasn't really a lock, but like a soft lock or something. But um, the big the big thing is is that he had a couple win conditions. Just I only saw, I think, two. Maybe he had a third or something. Um, but one was the Giant Colossus, which costs a million mana. Um, but the other was uh, the Agent of whatever agent of fates uh is that the one that can be unblockable uh no agent of horizons maybe yeah something like that and so a good exercise in this who's the beatdown would be if he was playing his deck and he has the option of on turn three playing his agent of horizons or like a wave crash triton or something um it makes way more sense to play the defensive card for him, even though it might seem that, like, oh, well, maybe I'll get some extra damage in early with this guy. That's just not what his deck did, and it would make no sense. Also, putting a card out there that could maybe be easily removed when you want them to waste their removal on something like the Wave Crash Triton, because um, you really rely on that 3-2 to, to finish out the game. It was... Yeah. Yeah. And he played it really well. So, kudos. Right, and so it's really about these assignments of roles. And so just in a general overview, that's what we're looking to do here is in any given game, decide which player is the beatdown and which player is the control. And that assignment uh, between beatdown and control can change uh, from one game to the next or even within a game. Like there will be turning points in a game where you may be trying to play control but then your opponent casts uh, a threat that you can't answer. And at that point, you're basically forced into the beatdown role, right? Mm-hmm. Where you say, okay, I can't beat this card if if I give my opponent enough time, so I need to win before my time is up. And you instantly have to shift your gears into a, uh, I, I'm, I'm getting in there. Like, I need to, to kill my opponent, you know? Right. Um. And I think it's easy to see that. It's easy to decide, okay, I need to go all in. I need to start beating down. What is very difficult most of the time is identifying when you need to slow things down and become the control player, especially if you are used to being the aggro player or if your deck typically would occupy the the aggressive role. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the biggest part of this question is... Um, when, when you have drafted your deck with a specific role in mind, um, you have to realize that you can't always take that role in the game because it just might not be playing out that you are the beatdown. Maybe, you know, your opponent also drafted in an aggressive strategy like you did, but they are, you know, coming up millhouse on them, on their (laughs) stuff. So you have to... You have to switch. You have to switch gears. 
and it's it's hard for some people, but that was the impetus behind the original Who's the Beatdown article was two aggressive decks playing against each other, uh, namely uh, a sly deck and a red deck wins type of deck mm-hmm. versus a suicide black, just a black aggressive deck, and knowing which one of those two decks should be in the control role and which should be in the beatdown role. Uh, and obviously it depends on draw, like what each deck draws in a given game. But at the same time, it also comes down to the tools that each of those decks has to, to one, to be the aggressive deck. Like they're both geared to be aggressive, but in that matchup, which deck has the better tools to, to be the control, uh, if necessary. Right. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about just the, the general scope of, of each type of deck. Like what, what does a control deck want to do? Uh, well, for those control players out there, I'm sure they know, uh, what, what control generally wants is for the game to go longer. Um, that's kind of the, the big, Thing. Well, the cool thing about Magic is that it's kind of set up into, I mean, kind of three stages of play. One being the beginning, one the middle, and one the end. And what Aggro wants to do is that it wants to, it to never get to that end point. And what Control wants to do is to sur- survive until you hit that third stage of the end, of, end point. So you want to slow the game down and make sure that you can get to the final stage of the game of magic where you have all the mana you need you've you have your you know your card advantage over your opponent and you can then take take control and win yeah so to do that the control deck needs to keep its life total high it needs to uh, draw extra cards typically, or or get, gain some sort of card advantage, uh, or or work towards that as the end game. You know, to just bury your opponent under your extra cards, right? Right. Um, oftentimes it's it's just more powerful cards that you're working towards, but sometimes it's just volume. Um, but yeah, to to do that, you need to make sure you hit your land drops. You need to keep your life total high, and there are certain tools that will allow you to do that. Um, in limited, one of the ways you can do that is to play more lands if you want to hit all your land drops, like play 18 instead of 17. Right. Uh, you can play some ramping spells. Like ramp decks are typically a form of I, I, they're not they're not a control deck, but they're trying to kind of cheat the system and get to that end game faster. Right. Right. Um, that that can be considered an aggressive or beatdown strategy if you're just kind of going all in on ramp. But um, those same ramp spells work in control because they allow you to kind of get to that later stage of development sooner. Exactly. Um, yeah. But what, what kind of cards Jeff can we use to like keep our life totals up uh, so that we stay out of like the burn range or, or reach range of aggressive decks? Uh, well, let's go with the absolute most obvious, which is cards that gain you life. Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, obviously cards like Angel's Mercy are not what I'm talking about. Not a card that literally only gains you life, but usually attached onto other effects, um, is how you want to gain your life. 
but that's that's a that's a way to slow the game down. Um, also, big old butts. That's that's a good one. Uh, you want you want your because generally creatures and magic have a kind of parity between you know you add up their attack and defense and they it tends to be around the same number for every mana cost. So you want your that uh that to be skewed more towards the uh the butt end for your cheaper cards. The one fours and the like are Yeah, one threes, one fours, two fours. Uh ha- having a little bit of power though is important on those cards because while you're spending all your time blocking, you at least want to threaten the ability to to pick off X1s and X2s mm-hmm. uh, to, to kill those smaller attackers. Because like, if you're playing, uh, what's the 06 wall? Uh, the artifact wall yeah, in the set. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I don't know the name it. of it because I never played either. Uh, that card, it's, it has a big butt. It only costs three mana. It's cheap. But it doesn't really get rid of anything from your opponent's side. It doesn't have that ability. All it does is it kind of force fields their largest creature with five power or less, right? Right. And if they can, they can keep attacking into it, it will, because you have no, like, you're not threatening to kill anything with it, right? Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest thing is that when when you have no power on your end, if they just play more creatures than you, they can start dealing you damage. If, right. If you, if they still play more creatures than you, but one of your guys can deal two damage to an attacker, they all of a sudden can't attack with their things with two toughness. Um, so that will probably just keep them back completely. Yeah. We talked about life gain a little bit. I want to talk about a specific card that involves life gain and get your take on it, Jeff. Ordeal of Heliod, the white ordeal. Mm-hmm. I mean, this card <laughs> gains us life. Uh, is yeah. it a control card? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, the thing about the ordeals is they're all about attacking, right? Yep. So... For for Ordeal of Heliod to work, you have to attack three times, usually, unless you have other ways of getting plus one, plus one counters on there. Um, those are three times you can't be slowing the game down. I mean, you're speeding the game up, is what you're doing. When you're, when you're doing anything with an Ordeal, Ordeals are almost more the... Uh, the plus one, plus one counter is, is what the Ordeal does. The extra ability is kind of the icing, not really the main meat of what these cards are doing. Yeah. So all of them, uh, the blue one draws you cards, seems more c- kind of controlish. It's got card advantage built into it, but now nah, you're just beaten down with that thing. Yeah. So that kind of transitions into the next question is what does the beatdown deck want to do? What does the aggressive deck want to do to end the game faster before you get to that third stage of development, that end game, that late game situation? Yeah. I mean, they, they want to kill the opponent. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that means putting them from 20 to zero. And um, that is kind of obvious, but uh, that means playing spells, sp- playing essentially creatures early and often, um, and essentially dumping out all of your resources pretty much as quick as possible. In, in Limited, we're, we have this nice environment where you don't have to worry about the turn four wrath, right? Yep. G- generally. 
Um, some well, especially not in this format. Yeah, this format pretty much doesn't even have. I I can't think of one. I'm sure there is some. There's there's anger of the gods, the three mana red uh, spell that deals three damage to all creatures. Oh yeah. But I mean that doesn't even kill everything. It only does three three damage. Yeah. Yeah. So so the aggressive deck just you just want to be dumping uh, stuff. I mean the biggest thing that it wants to do is to negate the fact that the control deck it has card advantage over them. The best way to do that is to end the game with the control deck having a grip full of cards. Because that means all those cards were not card advantage. Yep, those were cards that your opponent did not get to use. Yeah, they essentially didn't draw them. If if they're dead, then they're dead. So <laughs> so that's a big thing, is, is just... When, when you're the player playing uh, all your cards, like, when you have your hand is at zero and your opponent's hand is, like, five cards, you're just, you should be just dominating the board. And if that's the case, hopefully you're finishing the game as fast as possible because the second that they get to start playing their cards and get closer to parity on board, you're gonna, you're gonna lose. So, uh, it's, it's about just being the it's kind of the tempo strat the tempo thought you know like i want to be ahead on in the board at all times yep and you want to just in general deny your opponent those resources whether it's mana or cards in hand or cards drawn and you can do that in a variety of ways you can play discard spells uh that's like why a card like blightning was such a great beatdown card because it not only denied your opponent two cards from their hand, but it also sped up your clock by dealing three damage. Uh, yeah. And so if if you can deny your opponent those resources and what, like while keeping your clock moving, mm-hmm. like keeping the game moving towards uh, your opponent being dead, that's 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 where you want to be. Yeah. Or uh, cards like Griptide kind of deny. Um the draw essentially which yep. is which is big um i mean if you're lucky enough that's probably not the right word if you are playing in some kind of crazy limited format where land destruction is a thing uh that's a big i mean that's like one of the biggest denying of resources uh probably the only format i can think of that has anything like that would be cube um like think of plow under that's a five mana card but in cube that's an aggro card um, because yeah. your that's your that's your end game is to just put them back to the Stone Ages, and uh, that's kind of a huge thing. I mean, it's similar to like an Armageddon type effect. Yeah, at that point, what you're doing is hopefully you've landed a few threats. You've put down, I don't know, uh, a Leatherback Bailoth on turn three, and after a two drop and. Maybe on turn four you play some other four drop like a four four for four blastoderm. And, yeah, get, get your blastoderm in there. That's a five five for four. Sick value. Um, <laughs> Love it. And then on turn five, plum under. And at that point, they're so far behind on lands and on the board in theory that you're you're not going to lose. Like at that point, it's just you have this inevitability of yeah, I'm so far ahead that you basically can't do anything to get back in this game. Yeah. I mean, of course, cube is cube, so they could just, like, rip Black Lotus, or maybe not rip (laughs) Black Lotus, but have a Lotus in their hand that they were bagging, 
just be like, bam, bam, bam. Wrath of you. Suck it. Yeah. But anyway. Eat it. <laughs> Cube is sweet. Cube is sweet. Sidebar. <laughs> Turns out. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. So, so, uh, yeah, I mean, what other resources can you think of besides mana and cards are there that, that you can deny? Uh, you know, I mean, the big ones are, are kind of, they're kind of obvious as far as what we're talking about here, life and time, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, life I mean, is it, a resource. it's obvious, but it's also so obvious I mean, that you can miss it, right? Yeah. That's the whole point of this discussion though, is you're trying to deny your opponent one life, life points. So negating life gain spells and stuff like that is somewhat important. Mm-hmm. Um, and time is the big one where we've, we, we keep harping on this. We keep talking about it. What you're trying to do is end the game faster. So if there are cards that give your opponent more time, those are bad for you, you know? Right. Um, and so that's where like, if you're the aggro player and you're facing down those one, four blockers and two, four blockers, those blockers are going to buy your opponent a lot of time. And, and that's when, as the beatdown player, it becomes more important to fire off your grip tide, fire off your removal spell. Uh, even though you might be more worried about a late game threat, you know, a, a big game winner at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, those cards, while they are important and you want to be able to answer them if they come down, it, it doesn't matter if you can't like get to that, uh, or if you can't get past the two, four, that's already in your way, you know, right. Uh, typically if your opponent is getting to the, the point in the game where they can cast that game winning spell as the beatdown player, you've already lost. You need to take advantage of that resource, that time resource and kill your opponent before they can start throwing those haymakers. Uh, those, those threats that you can't answer or, or can't answer easily. Right. I mean, so removal becomes kind of a form of, you know, lowering or reducing their time. Like, as although it doesn't seem like removal is killing them any faster, but it's removing a blocker, increasing your clock, because now you have less resistance. And, like, that's why in limited, removal is always good no matter what you're playing. Yep. And, That's a great point. Yeah, and it's yeah. I mean, when you when you play, if you play a ton of constructed and you're just like kind of dipping into limited a little bit, you might just have this thought of, well, removals for control decks, and I just want to get the the dudes and the, you know, get my beatdown going if I'm if I'm playing the beatdown. But but every deck is playing a ton of creatures. It's just the way limited is built. So every deck needs removal. Yep. I like that. That's a, uh, that's a really important point to bring up. Um, I have a, I have a question for you as far as this discussion goes, how important is playing versus drawing? I mean, do you, if you're the control deck, do you always draw first? If you're the control deck, do you always play first so that you can get, uh, get ahead of the aggro deck? Like what's, what's your philosophy on that, Jeff? Uh, it is to almost always play no matter what deck you're playing pretty much always i mean so so why the reason is time uh you're up a turn which is you're up on time um both both decks want that like that's 
the most important resource, right? Both decks need that one uh, to either to either stifle their opponent's time or to gain more time themselves. And so uh, you start with seven cards in hand. It's not like that extra card is going to be as backbreaking as an extra turn. It, it almost never is. Uh, there are a few um, different, like, there's a few different situations where this is not the case. Um, one is in really grindy formats where the game is pretty much guaranteed to hit the third stage, you know? Uh, and no, like, no matter what your opponent's playing, it's just the way the format's built, we're getting to the end of the game, and so, no matter what, we're all gonna be able to play our spells, so it depends on who has the most spells, and then the draw might be correct, or probably is correct. Um, those formats don't exist very often. Yeah, well, I mean, can you think of an example? I think M14 was like that, not that you played it. I played it once. Okay. Uh, I I don't remember it, so <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I lost immediately. But uh, what format was like that? I feel like there was one. Some of, some of the iterations of Scars Block rewarded being on the draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a pretty grindy format. Although there were aggressive decks. Uh, I I do in think fact. in in general my philosophy on playing versus drawing is that if I'm an aggressive deck, I want to play every game. No matter what, yeah. Yeah, if my plan is to be aggressive, I want to be on the play. Uh, If my plan is to be the control player, sometimes I will take, I will choose to draw, mostly based upon, one, the the strength of my deck. Uh, If my deck is very good, I will typically still play first. Uh, If my deck is not so good and I want to be the control player, I will often take the extra card uh, just because I feel like I'm going to need to have more spells, more tools at my disposal to be able to win a long game. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Another big thing is uh, we're talking about these roles like beatdown versus control. Um, When you're playing against an opponent and you go into game two, Depending on how they played game one might change how you feel about playing and drawing. Because, you know, whether or not their deck should be the beatdown or not, maybe they're playing it wrong. Maybe they have a controlish deck and you have a controlish deck, but yours is much more controlling. But they're still playing kind of slow and controlling. Then you might as well take the draw because... Yeah, they're playing right into your hands at that point. Yeah, because they should be taking the other role, but they just aren't. And so they're going to give you the time you need, whether or not they realize it. So that kind of plays into this concept of inevitability. Uh, And that's really what this whole discussion boils down to, is who has the inevitability? Uh, Is it the beatdown player because he just simply has too many players, or is it the control player because he simply has too many resources and too much time? Uh, and you kind of have to constantly be evaluating this this question of inevitability. Like in, in on turns one and two, you can't really tell who it is. But after maybe turn four, turn five, you can see it start to take shape. 
and you can see, okay, my beatdown opponent has a lot of th- has three threats on the board. I only have one good blocker. He has the inevitability right now. And then you have to ask yourself, what can I do to swing that back the other way? What can I do to make it so that I have the inevitability in this game? Yeah, and that pretty much comes down to what we talked about earlier about what control wants to do, and that's slow it down. Yeah, and in that case, it might come down to just, usually it's play more blockers or play a removal spell, you know, buy yourself more time. Right. And eventually what you're hoping to accomplish is to get to that late state of the game where your your opponent may have chipped away at your life total, but you're still a reasonable one where you're not going to get burned out by a lightning strike or something like that. Uh, and you can cast your your game winning spells. So, right, and I I mean we you bring up a, a point with removal and control uh, when you don't have the inevitability um, and you are holding on to removal you should probably not be holding on to that removal anymore. <laughs> uh, you need to cast it because uh, you need to basically get take control of the game. And a lot of mistakes come from people being afraid to use their removal because they're thinking, well, the thing I'm killing is really not that good. Like, I can't, I can't deal with it with my board right now, but in two turns I can because I'm going to play this cool thing. But it's like... You're in a po- in a position to where, you know, you're giving them two extra turns of attacking or what have you, and and it's just too much. You're you're gonna die because of it, and you really need to just spend spend the resources now to to get to the later game to where all your extra resources will will give you the win. Right. Uh, at the same time, a lot of mistakes are made where people fire off their removal first chance they get instead of allowing themselves to answer those threats in a different way. Uh, it may be a more efficient way that'll help them save that removal spell for a time when it's more important. Uh, I think once you're starting to make those plays, once you're starting to see, okay, I'm going to take four damage from this thing that I'm getting beat down by right now, but next turn I have this one four in my hand that's going to come down and block it. And I've, I've essentially neutralized that in the future. Like, you know, I'm planning ahead. So I don't necessarily want to just fire this lightning strike off right now. I should save it for maybe a flyer that I won't be able to answer with this one four blocker, things like that. Right. And that's, that's where evaluating this inevitability is really important because you have to take into account future turns, right? It's, it's not just like right now as this game over, it's, you know, in a few turns when I have the ability to, to, to do everything I can do, am like, is this, you know, going to be, am I still going to be in Upshit Creek, essentially? Right. And, th- and this is the hardest part of, of this whole identifying inevitability is not only are you trying to take into account what you are going to do on each subsequent turn, but you also have to factor in what is my opponent doing in that time? Because uh, you don't know what's in his hand necessarily, uh, his or her hand, I should say. And if you're in that position, you you kind of have to speculate on what you would expect your opponent to do on the next turn and the turn after that. Uh, if they only have one card in hand, 
that makes your uh, the possibilities a little smaller. If they have four cards in hand, you have to think, okay, this guy's going to have some options. I need to make a play that allows me to kind of move towards inevitability with a wide range of uh, possibilities coming from my opponent, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and sometimes you don't have that luxury. Sometimes you have to play to, to one scenario. You have to say, okay, if he has X, I, like, I have no good play. If he, But if I play towards him having Y, then that maybe maybe that'll allow me to win this game. Uh-huh. I kind of wish I could come up with some uh, more card-specific uh, <laughs> scenarios here, but I'm just kind of riffing off the top of my head. Um, so I, I actually just kind of segue sporadically here into um, an actual quote from uh, Flores's The Eight Core Principles of Who's the Beatdown. And I think this uh, is essentially what we're trying to do all the time. It's identify position, take action, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we're talking about. We're saying, okay, what what position am I in now and what do I need to do? Uh, and to identify your position, you kind of need to evaluate who's the beatdown, who's the control, and then explore all, all the different options you have of cards in your hand, activated abilities on the board, uh, and and figure out what the best play is. Um, so as far as identifying who the beatdown is and who the control is, I have a few more quotes from the article, uh, and they're, and they're questions and answers. Uh, the first question is who has more damage? Okay. So damage meaning, uh, taken more damage or I, I think the ability to deal more damage. Okay. What, what role would you assign that player, Jeff? That would be the beatdown. <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah. And that damage can come from a lot of different sources. That can come from uh, creatures on the board, typically in a, in a game of limited, but also from direct damage spells, mm-hmm. from tempo spells like a Grip Tide or a Voyage's End, or uh, a card like Sleep from Corset uh, is is a damage dealing spell. Essentially, you're going to tap down some blockers and you're going to beat down. Right. Uh, uh, cards like Overrun that represents a ton of damage. Like that's a great aggro spell right you know uh so the next question he asks is who has more removal yeah that would generally be the control deck right and the reason for that is because you don't have as many cards to commit to the board you are looking to answer threats you want to control the board how do you do that in a game of limited more removal uh the last question he asks is who has more permission and card drawing that is definitely the control deck. <laughs> he, actually, yeah, he actually raises uh, the question or raises the point in uh, the eight core principles article that it's it's a little bit more of a gray area on this one now. Uh, back in the day, like when he originally wrote "Who's the Beatdown," this it was definitely the control deck every time. But now the way that Magic works, and because it's become such a, a creature and combat oriented game, especially limited, uh, the player who has more permission and card drawing can sometimes be the beatdown player uh, in the sense that you're more more in that like combo sense you know where mm-hmm. I'm just I'm gonna stifle some of your your stuff with my permission spells and I'm gonna draw a bunch of cards and then I'm just gonna go off and beat you down and I just wanted that as fast as possible 
but but in general, yeah, that's the control player. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, do you do you disagree with that necessarily, Jeff? Uh, it just seems like if you're the deck that is drawing cards, like card draw is such a specific, um, like extremely slow. Uh, part of magic, right? I mean, you're generally spending mana to increase the size of your unused resources, like, where the beatdown, in my opinion, would always be spending mana to affect what's in play pretty much every time. Uh, there's a few things like discard that, that might be different in that regard. Um, but usually you want your discard attached to some kind of damage dealing spell anyway. Yeah. Minor Mindrod is not that impressive. It's important to recognize that these articles that Mike Flores wrote are mostly based upon constructed play and constructed decks. So you gotta take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt because because these aren't geared towards limited. And we're talking about draft, you know. Uh and so the stuff that, that he talks about here as far as having more removal, like he's talking about things like Wrath of Gods as well. And we already identified the fact that in Theros Limited, there really isn't a Wrath of God. There's something that's close, but it's only one card. It's a rare. You're not going to see it very often. It, only red decks can play it, you know? Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's kind of important to recognize that Limited is a different type of game than Constructed for the most part. Totally. Yeah. Um, one of the ways in which limited, I think, is a lot different than uh, constructed is when it comes to sideboarding. Um, yeah. Both both formats have it, but in limited, you don't get to like tailor your your sideboard to a certain plan, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but at the same time, you need to be able to use your sideboard to either better your beatdown plan, better your control plan, or to try to transform from one to the other. Right. Yeah. I mean, the transformational sideboard, I think, is much more... Wait, were you saying something? Sorry. No, I wasn't. Oh. Uh, we're mu- as much more um, subtle in Limited than Constructed. Like, the idea of a transformational sideboard in Constructed is t- to literally change your game plan Um pretty much 100%, like, go from control to combo or something. But uh, in Limited, it's about changing your role. You're, when you're playing your control deck and you notice your opponent is also playing control and is better at it, at their deck does it better, then you want to transform your deck into the beatdown, right? And, like, you already were the, you already are the beatdown. Like, you don't have a choice. So you have to try kind of, you know, hopefully have the cards in your board to make that a thing. Yeah, to make your beatdown plan better. Because if you had geared your deck when you first built it to be a control deck, and you properly distinct or identify that you are now the beatdown player in a given matchup, you want to try and supplement that somehow. So maybe some cards that weren't good in your control deck, uh, I don't know, a card like an Acroan Crusader or uh, a headed Cerberus, you know, uh-huh. uh, those cards might need to get in there because you need to 
be focusing more of your plan on beatdown, you know? Right. And it's, you have a really nice, uh, bonus here where your opponent, who's the control that tends to be better at it, um, they're probably siding out their early control spells because they're like, well, he's a control deck too. I don't need these early blockers and things like that. I'll just put in more of the, the heavy hitters, and then you're switching up your plan to take advantage of that. Yeah, if your opponent's setting out his sedge scorpions and whatnot, and you're bringing in more early beaters, like, that's that's a win-win right there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that another, kind of getting back to what we something we talked about earlier with, with sideboarding, is that being on the player of the draw definitely matters. Uh, if you expect your opponent to be on the play in game two after game one, that should affect what you want to be bringing bring, bringing in out of the sideboard. Uh, when you're on the draw, oftentimes early counter spells, cards like Mana Leak or uh, oh, what's the the Scry One Force Spike that's in the set? Uh, Stymied Hopes. Stymied Hopes. Like that card is a lot worse when you're on the draw than when you're on the play. Yeah. And if I mean whether you're the control or the B, you need to know that. That's a card that if I'm on the draw, I don't want as much, and I should probably side that out and try to get something else in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the uh, we got a question written down here, which is an interesting one that you brought up, Greg. Um, can you be both beat down and control? I think you can. Okay. I, w- and, I would like to hear this because I I feel like I am taking the other side of this, <laughs> but go ahead. Uh, I I I think that what it really comes down to is if one is simply better, like all around better deck. And this is something that that Flores wrote in uh, in the Eight Core Principles article. Um, basically, he identified a matchup where one deck could out control the other deck, but it could also outbeat down the other deck at the same time. And that's just what he called the definition of a bad matchup, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think that that exists, but there's also the 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 possibility for uh, a, a deck in, for lack of a better term, I'll call it aggro control, where what you're doing is you're sticking some early threats, and then you're backing that up with with some sort of permission or uh control elements, whether they're counter spells or removal or bounce, you know. Uh and you're not only forcing through damage with your early threats, but also from from doing things in a controlling aspect. Now in that kind of a scenario, what would you consider that deck? Would you consider that because you're attacking? Or would you consider that the control because you're you know, manipulating the board and and controlling tempo and whatnot. Uh, I would definitely consider that the beatdown. Okay. Because it's still about time. Even though you're taking a controlling, or you're, I guess you're taking controlling actions within the game, you're still trying to end it quickly because your threats are are ones you played early, meaning that they tend to be weaker, right? Um, sure. I mean, we could talk about like a, a card like Vaporkin, just a 2-1 flyer, you yeah, know, like, yeah. and you're just chipping away with that. Right. 
and so you're you're essentially the beatdown because now now the interesting thing about limited and and why this is such an important question for limited is that I think you are the beatdown until that vaporkin dies, and then your role might change completely, right? I suppose so. I guess in general, you can it's it's it is hard to identify which is which because if I stick turn two vapor can and just start getting in there, uh, it, if unanswered, it is going to win the game, right? Mm-hmm. But if that my plan originally, you know, when I constructed my deck and drafted my deck, if my plan was to get to some sort of lake and cast some, some big haymaker, uh, if that's what I was working towards in my plan overall, mm-hmm. that's I mean, I still think I'm the control deck in that scenario. If, uh, despite the fact that my vapor can might just get there, you know? I mean, yeah, if you don't have anything else to back it up, sure, I guess so. But, or, I mean, the real thing about it is that you're dealing two damage in the air, and you're a, and let's assume that your opponent is currently not, has nothing to attack you with. The second that they do, and it is, I say, equal to what you have, now all of a sudden, you know, things are different. You're racing. Yeah. And a Vaporkin isn't necessarily great about great at racing, because it's, it's only doing two. It, it can't block. Um, so, I mean... Yeah, I, just just one Vaporkin, sure. That's, that's not necessarily going to put you as the beatdown, but... I mean, say that your deck has plays a couple of them, and you ended up drawing them in your opening hand. I would say that you you should just take the hand that you I mean make lemonade out of the lemons you got and take a beat down roll. And if you know it turns out that your opponent is better at that, you just have to kind of switch gears reevaluate at that point and, and go back towards being more of a control player. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I get, that. I guess what I'm saying overall is that if my deck is just inherently very, very good, like if I have a great manic that allows me to get in there early with some dudes and close out the game late with some bombs, like that to me sounds like a deck that is both beat down and control, you know? Yeah. And you're right. At any given point in the game, I can't necessarily be both. And I think in general, like, the funny thing about this conversation is that when when you're winning the game, when you're cracking in for lethal, you're you're the beatdown in that moment, right? You, like, <laughs> yeah. you, you're always trying to get to a point in the game where you are the beatdown, where you are just winning, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think that in limited, it's especially important to like keep that in mind and just always look for that avenue to to win the game. Uh, and the tr- trick to playing control and limited is to identify when to hold back, you know, when to not go for that alpha strike and, and say, okay, I don't need to do this right now. I can do this in two turns. And here's why I have this removal spell and I have this counter spell, you know, I can give myself a better chance, like a, a higher percentage play to win. If I, if I try to make the game go longer, but Ultimately, I'm still trying to get to that point where I'm cracking in for lethal. You know, I, I want to 
become the beatdown eventually, but I don't need to do it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that default of trying to win, I mean, obviously every game you play, you're trying to win, right? But that default of how, how do I end this game now? If that's the question you're asking over and over again, like how do I win? How do I win? How do I win? That is, that's going to lead to the most, I guess, proper assignment of role. If you can see that happening, unfolding kind of before you, uh, this turn, next turn, the turn after that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, just, I just think in general, the default should be, I'm the beatdown. And you need to have a good reason to not be the beatdown. So in the case of the Vaporkins, if I have those in play, like I want to be attacking with them because they're terrible blockers, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're only there for one purpose. Right. And so in that situation, if, if I just happen to have some beat down cards, like I'm going to be beating down with them. Uh, it's, it's in the rest of your game that you, you kind of establish whether or not you're the control player or not. If I'm like, do I, am I, I understand that I'm getting in for with these vaporkins. Is that just gravy? Am I just lucky? <laughs> or is this something that, like, I want to be my plan going forward? Sure. I Yeah, I mean, I think the big difference here is can a deck be both beatdown and control? The answer is yes, sure. It it can do, and, and in fact, I would say the best limited decks are always both, right? Right. And that's, the, yeah, that's my ultimate point, is that the decks that are very good are both. Right, but... While you're playing, you should not—I don't—you should not think of it in those terms. Like, oh, you know, I—I I played these Vaporkins, and you know, whatever. If they—if they don't, like, I'm just gonna let them do their thing and not back them up because, you know, I can—I can take over the game later anyway. Like, I don't need to win now. I can win later uh, because I have you know, a bunch of good control cards in my deck. You shouldn't think of it that way. You should think of, well, this is currently my best avenue for winning because it's it's winning currently. So let's just back it up and, and make sure that these Vaporkins get the job done. Right. I, and I, I guess the trap, the potential trap of that scenario is that if you do use your, what would have been kind of controlling cards to promote a beatdown plan, mm-hmm. that... If the game does take a shift, if your opponent does, I don't know, two for one you on the Vaporkins or something and put you back into that control role and you've already used some of your control tools, you could be in a lot of trouble at that point. True. Yeah, I mean, you have to evaluate things well in that, like, if you feel like your opponent can deal with the Vaporkins, probably easier than maybe some other opponents. Maybe you don't put all your eggs in that basket. I mean, you should never put all your eggs in any basket, really, unless you're crazy Voltron heroic deck. <laughs> <laughs> but at, even at that point, you should be holding on to a, like uh, some something that can protect your Voltron. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. It, it, this this kind of brings up a point I wanted to get to eventually, and I think now's as good of a time to, to talk about it as any, is the idea of kind of making it un clear to your opponent whether you're the beatdown or the control and how valuable that can be. Like, if if I do lead the game off with a couple of Vaporkins, my opponent's going to think I'm the beatdown, right? Uh, and if if he assigns that role to me from his side of the board, mm-hmm. 
and I my deck is actually set up to be a control deck and make the game go long, that's really good for me, right? Because he's gonna he's gonna misuse his resources in a way that helps him not die to the vapor kids, right? Right. And meanwhile, I'm just gonna be like, all right, those really didn't matter because I have this haymaker, this haymaker, and this haymaker coming down on turns five, six, and seven, you know? Sure. And that kind of yeah, I mean, you can you can use the Vaporkin to your control strategy in that way, like kind of drawing resources out to deal with these things that were essentially a decoy, right? Yeah, that that decoy, that deception uh, is pretty. It's a valuable tool in your arsenal because if if your opponent's misevaluating the roles and you properly evaluate the roles. That's just, you have more knowledge than your opponent. That's a good thing. You know? Yeah, and yeah, that's generally going to lead to more wins for sure. I think I think uh, the the other cards you have in your hand are a big a big deciding factor on which role you 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 set yourself in these vaporkins, right? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Um, that was yeah. I don't know. That was. Definitely, the I thought the most interesting question raised in that more recent article is kind of, at what point can you be both the, the beatdown and the control, if it's possible at all? And I think I'm with you in general as far as the concept of, in, in any game situation, like right now in this moment, you have to choose. You have to be one or the other. Yeah. But if... But but in general, I think that there are decks that are strong enough to be both over the course of a game and to and, and I guess that's you're right. Like most of the best limited decks have the versatility to go one route or the other and uh, be able to shift on the fly. Mm-hmm. So um, when uh, another thing that is kind of I guess different for limited is that the line the lines are a little more blurred in terms of beatdown and control because a lot of decks are kind of in the similar vein of you know we're all playing creatures here we're all kind of doing the same thing some of us might have a little cheaper creatures some of us might have more expensive ones which is where you start assigning yourself a role but when you go into game one and you know, you don't know what your opponent's playing. How do you decide what your role is going to be in limited? I think for me, I, I really, it comes back to that question of how am I going to win this game or how am I going to win most of my games? I ask myself that as I'm drafting, as I'm building my deck. And if the answer is I'm going to win with this six drop and this seven drop, typically I want to be the control player. Mm-hmm. If the answer to that question is I want to swarm my opponent with with two drops and three drops on turn six, then I want to be the beatdown player. And you're right. When it comes to limited, there's a lot more gray area in there where you're like, I'm playing a, a decent mix of threats across my entire mana curve, and I have some removal, some tempo spells, some permission, etc. Um, but I, I do think it's important to identify the strength of your deck. Like, what what are the best cards? What am I trying to accomplish in most games? Like, what what's my ideal scenario here? And base your evaluation, your your kind of default setting of beat under control on that. Right, yeah. And I think when it comes to a point where your deck is so, I guess, mid-rangey or just 
you really can't tell what role you should default to because your deck is just this big giant gray area itself. Um, probably going for the beatdown is the way that you want to start playing it because killing your opponent as quickly as possible is never a bad thing. <laughs> right. It, it ultimately, against any opponent, giving your opponent more draw steps, giving your opponent more time to see more cards is bad for you. And so if you, again, you're always looking for that opportunity to close out a game, to win a game. Mm-hmm. And the beatdown definitely kind of helps, helps. Like if you default towards that setting, then you're probably going to win more games just out of pure kind of like, like catching your opponent stumbling on mana, stumbling on, on bad draws while you're just constantly thinking, okay, I want to win. I want to kill my opponent right now. End the game faster, 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 you know? And I think that's, that's a good, um, place to start is assume you're the beat down until proven otherwise. Right. And to like a nice thing about limited is that each format is with, within a few weeks or whatever, after the format comes out, you start seeing the shape of certain archetypes and you start understanding what these archetypes would rather be, which role they would rather be taking. And so Within just the first few turns of a game, of a game one, you should start to understand, like, what role your opponent will most likely be taking. Um, say, like, look at Gate Crash. This is a very obvious example, but look at Gate Crash. Your opponent leads with a planes and a mountain. <laughs> You're probably the control. <laughs> yeah, because your opponent has already played a two drop that's attacking you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh- I think in Theros, there are some pretty obvious color combinations that, that tend to skew one way or the other. I think if your opponent is playing red, he probably wants to be the beatdown. Mm-hmm. I think if your opponent is playing black-green or black-blue or, uh, like, green-blue, those are all kind of identify as control combos to me. Yep. Um, that's not to say they can't be aggressive, but for the most part, those three colors, black, blue, and green... L- Lend themselves to a controls a control strategy more so than uh, the red and white decks of the format. Totally. Yeah. Now, if you're pairing red with black, that tends to be an aggro deck. So, I mean, there's, yeah. Or totally. white with blue. Right. Exactly. But in general, like the, if you pair a control color with a control color, you get a control deck. If you pair a control color with an aggro color. You typically get a more aggro deck. Yep. Um, white blue is probably the best example of like somewhere in the middle to me. Yeah. Where more more because because of the whites, the white blue decks uh, availability of, of evasive creatures, they can kind of sit back on more uh, ground blockers and their removal and tempo spells and just say eventually these flyers are going to get you know right. or eventually my one big heroic dude after I build it up to like a state of just undeal withableness and I love that word. Uh, it's <laughs> a good one. Sidebar. I love, I love that every once in a while I I'm trying to think of a way to describe a threat that's impossible to deal with. And I always call it an undeal withable. And that's the first time I've thrown on nest yes. to the end of it. Um, and I'm pretty excited about that. I might have to go put it on Urban Dictionary. Anyway, uh, back back to the, the lecture at hand here. 
I think the white blue deck can can go that route where you can play the beatdown early, or I mean, if if the game plays out that way. But at the same time, you're typically okay with the game going long because you're either going to Voltron up a huge guy, or you're going to have enough kind of uh, removal spells and bounce spells in the late game to to I don't know take care of the game. Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think a few of the, like, if, if you're having a hard time deciding how your deck should, like, what the role it should take, um, take a look at how much mana things are gonna cost. Not just the curve of your deck, but also the abilities on the cards, um, to really. Monstrous. Yeah, monstrous is a big one. Like, if you have a bunch of monstrous stuff, you're the control. Come on. Like. <laughs> Like if you're if you're playing a bunch of monstrous guys and you're not planning to monstrous them, like what the hell are you doing, man? Um, so, so yeah, it, it's it's that's that's like the one uh, archetype that is kind of interesting that can kind of be the control that you would maybe expect otherwise is red green. Oh, definitely. Uh, because it seems like red is obviously beat downy, and then green can can definitely switch into that mode. Uh, no problem, but red and green are so good at having giant dudes. <laughs> yeah, totally. That um, it te- it actually tends to be more of a late later game type deck. Well, that's another that's another way to kind of evaluate whether you're the beatdown or the control pre game is what are my creatures better at attacking or blocking? Yeah, for sure. And the green dudes and a lot of the red dudes, I mean, not all of them, but a lot of them are better blockers than they are attackers. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like gr- green, especially like green, yeah. I think might be the biggest control color in this set. Yeah, it's got a lot of good control cards. It's yeah, clear. it also um, has the satyr, which might like can kind of fill the role of both. But but really, I I feel like ramping, especially in limited is more of a control type thing. Like you're, you're just trying, you're basically gaining time with your ramp card. It's, it's not, it's less about killing the opponent faster and more about giving yourself more resources, more time. Yeah, definitely. I'm starting to like rethink my statement that red has good blockers in this format. The only one I can come up with is the 4-3 Minotaur. Oh, well, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> green, but, green has great blockers. And, and, and yeah, I guess that's, and that's red has, what I was I mean, red can have a good amount of removal and stuff, and it also has a little bit of ramping and, like, a common monstrous guy and things like that. Yeah. So I, I guess that's probably the next big step as far as where to take this discussion for Limited is... How do you apply these beatdown and control concepts to the process of drafting and the process of building your deck? Yeah. Because in in constructed you have all the time in the world and all the all the cards at your disposal to kind of piece together a plan, but when you're drafting you have to do this like one card at a time like with a bunch of unknowns on the way, you know? Mhm. <laughs> so, I mean, do you default towards trying to take a good beatdown card or take a good control card or do you try and land somewhere in the middle? Do you try and take a card that's good in both? Well, like we mentioned before, um the best limited decks can be both. So, 
that's not a bad thought is to take cards that that can go in either strategy um but i think you don't want to think about your role until you're a couple picks in in my well I, I, let's say this you don't want to think about your role until you've made a pick at least like you don't want to go into a draft and say like i'm I'm playing aggro, you know, like that's <laughs> crazy. Why would you do that? So many people do that though. I, it is. And it, true, it yeah. makes me insane. Like they're like, well, I wanted to play aggro. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like what, what, at what point did you decide that you wanted to play aggro? Because you don't need to make that decision until you're drafting and, and until you're maybe like four or five picks in really. Right. And if you try to kind of assign that role to yourself as the friend of our, our listener, Tom, uh, seems to want to do he's like he's like i want to be aggro and it's like well it's great and if if you can do that and if you are a better aggro player than you are a control player but sometimes the picks in the draft just don't break that way you don't get the the tools to build an aggro deck every time so you need to be more flexible and you need to be willing to take on that controlling role every once in a while yeah i mean if you are the type of player that's that feels like you can only play one style of deck I am very sorry to say that you're never going to be that good at this game because like, although having a preference is completely fine and probably every single person has one, right? But, but defining yourself as that preference, you're essentially closing half the doors and making it so you're limiting, you're limiting yourself to 50% of the decisions you can make which is ultimately going to be a giant hindrance in in playing this game. I mean, you just have to you have to have all skills to be the best player you can be. And if I mean, if you if you're playing Magic to not be the best ever, and you just love playing aggro and just hate playing control, I mean, you're just going to have to resign your fate to well, a lot of drafts I'm just going to lose because I'm going to draft control <laughs> when I or draft aggro when I shouldn't be. Right. Or you should just draft like Gatecrash or Zendikar for your entire <laughs> life. You know, just exactly. f- find a format where you can always can draft aggro, you know? When everyone um, has to always draft aggro. Yeah, Zendikar yeah. would have been a really interesting set to think about this question, like who the beatdown is. Because, holy crap, it was like, <laughs> I guess it was whoever has Vampire Nighthawk is the control. Everyone else is the beatdown. <laughs> yeah, whoever has... Uh... I don't know. I think everyone's the beatdown. Like that that format was just like who It's just a format of racing. Yeah, who's beating down harder, you know? And how, how can I how can I beat down harder all the time? But <laughs> yeah, kind of getting back to the the idea of identifying and then drafting accordingly beatdown versus control. I, I think you're right. I think as far as the first couple picks, you want to take cards that are both. You want to take just good all around cards. I think uh the ill-tempered Cyclops is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a, a three-three trample for four, like that is a fine kind of—I don't want to say curve topper in an aggro deck, but a nice like mid-game play mm-hmm. uh, for an aggro deck. But the ability to go monstrous on turn six with it, or on once you have six mana and get it up to be a six-six trample, like that's good in a control deck. But it's also good in the beatdown deck if you do end up in that spot because a lot of the time you're not going to have six mana plays if you're playing beatdown. Um, yeah. So I think he's, he's a good example. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a bad example. Um, well, I mean, the other thing is 
with these cards that can be both, um, it's important to realize when a card that is just strictly beatdown or strictly control is enough better that you should take it anyway, right? Yeah, definitely. Because... Yeah, go ahead. It's... I mean, it's really tough to get, like... To... Because if, if you sign your role right away, say you, you take a you take a very good aggro card first because it's just so much better than everything else. Like it can really screw you up, but you have to. What am I trying to say? It can screw you up because you might have have taken this really good. So, okay, say you you start with a uh, the white hoplite that's that costs one, the one two, right? Okay. You're like, I'm I'm heroic aggro. This, this is what I'm doing. And then your next pick, you can pick between a really good control card or a decent, you know, aggro or card that can be, like, kind of both. Like, you want to realize when things are better enough that you just need to take them. And it, it comes down to not being not being married to your role right away. Yeah, definitely. So in that situation you just, you just described where you take the one drop with your first pick and in the second pick you are faced with a very good control card versus a a decent like all-around card, which way do you usually go in that scenario? Oh, I take the best card. Yeah, I think that's the big takeaway for me as far as early picks in a draft is I don't care what my role is yet, so I'm just going to take the best cards. Um now, if you get like later in a pack and say, say you still haven't kind of figured out what you want your role to be and you're faced with something like, uh, an agent of horizons <laughs> card we talked about earlier versus an arena athlete, like those cards are a little bit closer in power level, I think. Right. But one of them definitely skews beat down the arena athlete, right? Right. Whereas agent of horizons can, can go both ways. Right. Um, which way would you go in that scenario? Assuming you're playing red green. I'd probably take the arena athlete. Okay, just because you think it's a better card? Be, no, because um, you know, like my first instinct is to take it uh, because you, if you're take, if you're playing red green, the agent feels. I mean, it's just a vanilla three two, right? That's correct. Um, and so it feels like you're losing value. <laughs> Well, it's a more replaceable card. Right. Right. Um, what the what the arena athlete does is so much more unique in that ability to get blockers out of the way. And that's, to be fair, like that's definitely an aggro-oriented ability, but that can be useful in a control deck as well. Yeah, it can be. For sure. Um, I... I, it's weird to me, and I, this comes up a lot for me as, as, as far as like replaceability in drafts. Like the fact that one's an uncommon and one's a common often weighs into my decision. Sure. Maybe it, maybe it shouldn't as often as it does, but I can look at the arena athlete and be like, okay, this is an uncommon. I might not see another one of these in the draft. Whereas Agent of the Horizons, like it's a 3-2. It like probably goes into more decks. Like it's more universally playable than the athlete is based upon like, aggro versus control, but I probably will see another Agent of Horizons or a card of similar value at the three-drop spot later in the draft. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. I mean, the problem is 
with the agent is that it's so replaceable, like with pretty much anything that costs three, you know, right. That, uh, it's really okay to pass up on. Um, if it now, was, if, if you're playing blue, that, that changes. Totally. Yeah. If, if say it's, um, what's, what's a good analog to that? Maybe. Well, there's Nessun Corsair, Corsair at three drop in agent of, or, or like directly competing with agent of horizons in green, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a card that's a vanilla three, three that in this scenario, if you're playing red green would be just straight better than the agent. And so like both of those cards are common. You're probably going to see one or both of them later in the draft. Again, take the arena athlete, you know? Right. I mean, also, uh, like that, that brings up an interesting pick between say you have the courser and the agent in the pack and you're playing blue green. Um, but you haven't assigned yourself a role yet within this deck. Like, do you take the courser because it's more, uh, it just, it could be aggro or control kind of thing. Or do you take the agent because it's probably better in control and you are taking blue green cards? I take the agent because of, I mean, because it is pretty much just as good as the courser on beat down, but it is a much better control card. Yeah. I shouldn't say much better. It's a better... I do think it's better. But I, I should admit that the Courser in a control deck is definitely a better blocker. Yeah. So if, if I already have some effects or, or cards to to win a game for me in my green-blue control deck, I might be more willing to take the card that is just going to be a better blocker uh, in the Courser to establish like that early early game, you know, to get me to the point where those other cards are going to win for me. Yeah, I would actually probably default to the courser myself. Interesting. Yeah, I'd probably take the agent, assuming I, if it was early, you know, mm-hmm. like if it was pack one and I, but I knew I was blue green. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I think I want one of those in my deck. It also is an interesting thing about signaling, right? You're you're taking the the blue green card. Like if you're passing the blue green card, you're giving an opening for a person to think that they can also be blue-green, you know? Yeah, I don't worry about that too much, because I, I really I really don't think the Agent of Horizons is a necessarily... I don't look at that and think, oh, this is a blue-green card. It's, it's just a green card to me. Sure, sure. That's much better when you have blue in your deck. Yeah, also sending signals is, is really not the biggest deal. Re- yeah, reading signals is much more important. Yeah. Um, so, one last thing. We, we kind of... We touched on this earlier, but as far as when you're drafting uh, and deck building, building a good sideboard is really important for leaving yourself the ability to go aggro or control. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when, especially later in the draft, when you are at the point of having close to enough playables, say, like, say you have 20 cards that you're just like, I'm for sure... These guys are going in, and you still have, and you're you're only like two picks deep into pack three. Like you should really be looking for cards that are going to be awesome for when you need to switch roles to be to put into your sideboard because, like, it's such a powerful thing to to have that that kind of flexibility. I mean, we talked about this last week with cards, like on cards having flexibility. On cards, having cards that do multiple things is so good. It's same. It's the same when you put it into a larger scale of your deck. Like, can your deck do multiple things? It's 
it's very powerful. Yeah, definitely. And I do think this is a lesson that specifically applies to Theros in a big way because there are so many playable cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I typically in in most formats, what I what I recommend when you get to that point where like, okay, I've got these twenty two spells that I'm definitely playing, is I actually recommend hate drafting towards those later picks, being like, okay, well, I could take this other card that's like okay for me. And then that might make the deck as like the last card, or I can take this this much better spell in a different color that I know I'm not going to play. And uh, disclaimer: hate drafting is not a very good strategy in general. But if I've already got my deck, like if I already have all my playables, I'm in. Like I'm down to hate draft at that point in the draft. But in Theros, it's a lot different. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Theros, it's a lot different because there. are are these cards that are wildly different based upon whether you're beat down or control arena athlete, uh, a lot of the heroic cards. Um, and to set yourself up to, to switch from one style of deck to another is pretty powerful in this format specifically. Mm-hmm. Like a card like Satessa battle priest, the little one, three heroic life gainer. Yeah. Like just picking one of those up late for your white deck. Uh, you might've drafted, a mostly aggro white deck, but if you face off against, like, the red-black craziness, you know, the red-black Minotaur aggro deck, yeah, you might want to get that 1-3 in there to start blocking the... Uh, what's that 2-3 guy called? The 2-3 Minotaur. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. But things like that, like, the, the Battle Priest isn't going to make your main deck, but the ability to bring it in out of the board is very... Very powerful if if the situation, if the game and match you're playing, like requires that of you. Yeah, yeah. I do want to say that all you just said about hate drafting. Please, people, don't hate draft. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are times when it's right, like Greg just said. But I think your rule of thumb should always be never, ever, ever hate draft. Yeah, take a card that you could potentially play because. Yeah. Again, it gives you that option. It gives you those those sideboard plays, those uh, yeah, those abilities to do multiple things with your cards. Um, but but again, like if you're talking about a card that you can reasonably reasonably suspect is never going to make your deck, versus like a card that is going to be good for someone else, yeah, I think you can make the case for hate drafting for it, sure. It's just that. I'm describing it like it happens all the time. That's typically not the case. Like, there's almost always going to be a card for you that you might play at some point in your three rounds. So you should probably be taking those cards first. Yep. Uh, yeah. That about does it for me on on this stuff, Jeff. Are you? Uh, do you have anything else you want to say as far as who's the beatdown is concerned? No, I think I think we got it covered pretty good, actually. Yeah, I think in general my biggest piece of advice is to go read the articles <laughs> and we'll link, I'll link to them in the show notes. Uh, and we'll make sure that like that, it, it's really not hard to find these things. If you look for them, just Google who's the beat down, they'll come up, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, check those out because we're rambling and, and those were like well thought out and probably went through a couple different drafts before they were posted on their respective websites. Yeah. I, but, do, um, I do think that they, definitely are more helpful for constructed but um i mean the principles are still the same and limited uh, there are just a few things that maybe we hopefully we covered here that that they don't really cover in their articles 
Yeah, the biggest trick for limited, I think, is understanding that everybody's on the same general plan of play creatures, turn them sideways. Right. And so deciding who the beatdown is really has to do with my creatures versus your creatures, you know? And if I have better blockers, if I have guys who I can't cast until the late game that are going to win me the game, those those are the, the ways you can kind of identify who's the beatdown, who's the control. Right. Um, or you can at least identify what you want to be, for the most part. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Uh, do you want to wrap things up, or uh, maybe play a little game, Jefferson? Uh, probably wrap things up. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, all right. Let's let's do it. Let's do yeah. let's do uh, a couple rounds, unless unless the first one goes goes Super really long. long. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do some what card am I thinking? And if you're a new listener to the, listener to the podcast, this is... Um, Probably haven't played this in like a year. I know. It's been a long time, and I don't know why we waited so long, because it's really ridiculous and fun. <laughs> but Jeff's going to count down from three to one, or, or count up from one to three. I can't remember how you do it. It's been that long. Uh, uh, I think I start at... Uh, semantics. I start at three. <laughs> okay. And then we're both going to blurt out a card, any card in the history of magic. And then based upon those two cards, we're going to try to come up with a card that meets somewhere in the middle in our heads and count down again, yell that card out. And we're going to try to arrive at the same card. Yeah. That's, that's the ultimate goal. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you'll get it as we, as we go. And I don't know why I'm still talking about it. Let's just play. Let's play. Um, do you have a card in your head? Uh, I do. All right, I do as well. Three, two, one, eradicate. Feldegriff. Feldegriff? You crazy yeah. person? <laughs> Flying hippos. <laughs> I, man, I don't even remember what that card does. Uh, I picked eradicate if you didn't hear me. What does Eradicate do? Uh, that is uh, Exile Target Non-Black Creatures. Search their Graveyard Hand Library for all cards of the same name and exile that, too. Oh, okay. It's like uh, Sowing Salt for Creatures. It's exactly what it is. That's a cool card. Um, Feldegriff. I'm going to have to look it up to <laughs> remember all the... You son of a bitch. Uh, I don't even know how to spell it. Feld? I'll just type in Feld and see. Oh, there it is. Feldegriff is one white, blue, green, summon legend. It's a uh, legendary creature, Feldegriff. It's a 4-4. So 4-4 for 4, pretty good. Uh, You can pay a white to give it flying until end of turn, and target opponent gains 2 life. You can pay a blue to return it to its owner's hand, and target opponent may draw a card. Or you can pay a green to give it trample until end of turn. Oh, man. These cards have nothing in common. Put a hippo token into play under target opponent's control. Treat this token as a 1-1 green creature. Mm. <laughs> all right. Um, I, I got one. All right. Three, two, one, cranial extraction. Ooh. Mm. Getting closer. That was closer. Um, I think I just moved off of my ridiculous card and moved towards something more real. That your card was doing because yeah. there's nothing else like Feldegriff <laughs> on Earth. Actually, there's isn't there one other Feldegriff? There is. It's yeah. a questing Feldegriff. <laughs> you would have been such a dick if you said that. Uh, <laughs> all right. 
Uh, so I said cranial extraction. You said lobotomy. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm good. Uh, God damn it. I can't remember the name of that card. <laughs> um. All right. Three, Ready? two, one, recoil. Extirpate. Recoil? Yeah, I just... I was panicked. I'm sorry. <laughs> Recoil is the the is it an instant or sorcery that returns a creature to its owner's hand and then I that discard. player discards a card? Yeah, that's kind okay. of like lobotomy. Not yeah, I mean, not anything black. like cranial. <laughs> they're, um, they're, they reprinted a card just like cranial. That's what I was gonna say, but I couldn't remember the name of it. Yeah, I, it, that just came out. I don't know the name. Of, I don't know the names of new cards. I have to play with cards for like five years before I remember <laughs> the name. All right, so we have recoil and extirpate, which is the split yeah. second graveyardy one. Um, shoot, uh, that's tough. Um, I don't even remember the name of that card. That's the problem. I just need. I can't remember the names. <laughs> I can think of what it does. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Yeah. See, now I'm drawing a blank. Mm-hmm. Ah, whatever. All right. <laughs> uh, shit. I just had one. I got one. <laughs> Three, two, one. Water bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting farther and yeah, farther away from each other. I don't. I, I just panicked. I was like, just think of a black card. <laughs> <laughs> All right, water for bouncer terror. Um, uh, yikes, man! I wish I could say recoil. <laughs> <laughs> um, water for bouncer and terror. Duh. God, there's got to be something good that I'm just whiffing on right now but i can't think of anything good so i'm gonna go with yeah sure i'm gonna go with uh oh man i have to look it up now oh boy oh boy how does how does that card called how does that card called how does that card called i'd have to do an advanced search and search by Rules text? Alright, I got oh, something. Let's, let's, let's speed this up. Alright, I'm good, I'm ready. Alright, three, two, one, Agony War. Deny reality. I okay, know. we're finally both on a blue-black card. <laughs> what does Deny Reality do? That's the, the one that bounces a permanent and cascades for five mana. Ah, that's a good one. Alright, um... Bounces a permanent and cascades. Mine is Agony Warp. Eh, I think we're almost there. I really wish we could say Recoil. <laughs> I know. It's the exact card that we need to say. Um, all right, I got something. Oh, boy, I do not. Uh, I'm panicking myself. All right, whatever. I'm good. Three, two, one, Clutch Boy, of the Undercity. Oh, that's good, Jeff. That was really good, and mine was awful. <laughs> what did you say? Voyage's End. Voyage's End. All right. So we at least have two bounce spells now. Two two bounce spells. I like it. Uh, All right. 
Let's do I'm this. I'm good. Yep. Three, two, one. Boomerang. Boomerang. Yeah. Yeah. Got there. <laughs> Had to coach ourselves through it. <laughs> All right. I think we'll just play the one round. That yeah, that was awful. <laughs> We've gotten worse Sorry. than this. That we have done much worse than that, but that was my fault for Phil DeGriff. I, I apologize to you, <laughs> Jeff, and I apologize to the listeners. Man, if only we had both thought of Phil DeGriff right away, it would have been perfect. And that's never happened, has it? We've never done no, the same card. That's uh, I, we've done the same card second time. Yeah, we have once. I don't remember what it was though. Yeah, me neither. But yeah. Anyway, go take that home. You can play that at home, kids. Yep. <laughs> It's a, it gets even more ridiculous with three people. Yeah, it's absurd. But I think uh, we tried that once and it was It doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really terrible. Um, all right. Well, you guys should uh send us an email. Uh if you I mean, you you probably remember at the beginning of this podcast when Greg said that we decided to do this topic because of a a listener request. So hey, you guys can can control what we do. So send us an email or a comment or something and ask us to do something. We'll probably do it. Uh, we're at I would do anything for this podcast, but I won't do that, Jeff. Uh, I'm sorry. I won't do that. <laughs> EastWestDraftCast.gmail.com is where you email us. Uh, we have a website, EastWestDraftCast.com. You can comment on our stuff or download our episodes there. Uh, what else we got, Greg? Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. My Twitter name is at EWDraftCast. Jeff's is at JeffEWDC. Yeah. And we've got... Did you already mention the website? Because the website is sweet. I did. I didn't mention our Facebook page, though. Oh, uh, yeah. I've been uh, posting a little bit more on there lately. Yeah, I noticed. It's pretty. Did you see that green-black deck I posted on there? I did. Would you have played the Trojan Horse? Uh, I've never played it. I don't know. I... I, I think real, that card is good. It seems pretty good. I yeah. I don't know. But everybody was like, you shouldn't play the horse. I'm like, why? Yeah, it's, everybody did say that. That was kind of yeah. surprising. I don't know. I would have. If you want, if you want to see the deck that we're talking about, you have to go to our Facebook page, and you can do that by searching for us on Facebook, or you can go to facebook.com/backslash/ewdraftcast. Yeah, and, and you have to click like when you're there. Or else yes, you do. It's we'll pretty mandatory. You. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, that actually was a pretty good example of a control deck in limited. Totally. A lot of kind of like slow, grindy, get to the late game spells and creatures. It was fun. Yep. Lost in the second round, though. That was no good. That's a bummer. Yeah. To the guy who eventually won. His The other guy's deck was crazy. He was playing that 2-3 um, that rare blue guy who can copy instants and sorceries. Oh, yeah. And I didn't realize that if you copy your opponent's stuff, that your opponent still controls the copy. So what? that card... Yeah, so it says, like, copy target instant or sorcery spell. That spell's controller may choose new targets. Whoa. So not as good as a typical, like, um, deflection or, uh, I guess that's not deflection, like, fork-type spell, you know? Yeah. So don't but, don't copy your opponent's uh, lightning strikes. <laughs> right. It was still very good with his Voyage's Ends. So, oh, I'm and sure. It's, Two, three for three. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that's the Facebook. Uh, I don't think we got anything else. No, we don't. So get out there, listeners, and uh, be the beatdown, be the control, but always be flexible. Draftcast. 
Out!